Pray with me. Father, we would walk worthy of you. We would live what we believe. And remind me and all of us that to have preached a sermon and to have heard a sermon is not the same thing as having lived a sermon. So Lord, help us, I pray, to live up to what we believe, to give you glory and honor, not only in our songs and our prayers, but also in our attitudes and actions. May those who watch us and the world is watching us, may they see that you are worthy because we walk worthy of the name that we carry with us, the name of Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. God is good all the time, even on time change weekend. God is good, amen. I didn't expect to see you today and it wasn't because of time change weekend. And it wasn't because spring break weekend or that there was a deluge right about the time you were supposed to leave from your house. It's that I did my level best to find a competent preacher to fill in for me today. And I had a great one, but he got bronchitis. And so he wasn't able to come, Pastor Lester. And so um, I tried, I tried several others. I worked my list. I went down the list. Nobody wanted to preach to you today, nobody. And so um, it was Wednesday morning after I'd asked the last guy, I was um, getting ready for uh, work and, and a message came to me. And then I was worried that the last guy was going to say yes. But thankfully he said no. And so, so here I am. And I, I know you lost an hour of sleep. And um, I thought this might be a great day to remind you that one of our very best ministries is our insomnia ministry. And here's the thing, I mean, people who don't, who lose sleep, if they, I've preached in my time here something like 3,000 sermons, and if you listen to any one of them, you will be instantly cured of your insomnia, because preaching is the fine art of talking in somebody else's sleep. So excuse me if I interrupt your, your sleep this morning. God grants sleep to those whom he loves, but that is lost on Americans, um, we are told that we are among the three most sleep-deprived nations in the world. Us, France, and Taiwan are the three. What's the most sleep-deprived city in the world? Anybody know the city which does not sleep? New York. And um, most sleep-deprived people say they, they miss their sleep because of finances and concerns about that. 50 to 70 million Americans have chronic sleep loss. 14-year study by a major university said that during those 14 years, people who got less than six hours sleep a night were four times more likely to die than those who got seven or more hours of sleep a night. And it affects all age groups. A study of 17 to 24-year-olds said that every hour of sleep they lost, their anxiety and psychological distress rose by 5%. But the government thinks it's a good idea to take away an hour of sleep. I'm not sure how that works. Is there any rest for the weary? We know there's no rest for the wicked, but what about for the weary? Jesus said there is. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30? I want to think with you this morning about an invitation 
to rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord this morning. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you. You may be seated. Anybody who preaches a text without looking at the context is likely to use it as a pretext. So I did my work this week and discovered that Jesus was likely talking to that group of disciples who had gone on a mission trip. He had sent out the 12, Matthew tells us, and given them authority to go and minister and proclaim the good news. They had gone with the power to heal. They had gone with the power to deliver people from the forces of evil and they were faithfully ministering. But those of you who are involved in perhaps our spring break, uh, spring branch mission trip know that there's a special kind of tiredness that comes when we serve the Lord faithfully. And I would say it's a good kind of tiredness, but it's a kind of tiredness nonetheless. I think about our trips to El Paso with our boys when they were young on spring break and how we would come back from those trips utterly exhausted and utterly exhilarated. And what's the answer to people who are exhausted? Jesus said to them and to us, come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. He offers them this invitation to rest. And it's not an invitation, by the way, to inactivity, but to the right kind of activity. Jesus is not calling his people to laziness, but to learning about him. It's not an invitation to inactivity, but to intimacy with him. Not that we might dissipate our time, but that we might engage in timely discipleship. So Jesus takes away the unnecessary burdens that you and I pick up along the way and replaces them with a well-fitting yoke, one that is perfect for us. And this is what I know. The more we learn about Jesus Christ, the more we will live at rest. He will not give us rest from our work, but he will give us rest in our work. And what if you and I accepted his invitation to intimacy? What if we came to him and found our rest in Christ alone? He shows us in these verses, even when he says, you who are weary and burdened, you, you remember um, you who are, who are weary and heavy laden, the, the King James Version says, he shows us that life has a way of wearing us out. And I wondered, what is it that makes us tired? And I think it's not the things that we do for him, but it's the things that we do for ourselves. Sometimes it's the pace of life and, and that never saying no to others. Sometimes it's the pain we experience in life. Sometimes, honestly, it's people who exhaust us. 
There was a photographer in an elementary school taking pictures of the first graders and he was just trying to connect with his crowd as we all do on occasion. And he looked at the first grader and he said, and what will, will you be when you grow up? And she said, tired. <laughs> all the older people I know are tired. I'm sure that when I grow up, I'll be tired. Well, what is it that makes us so tired? I think Jesus looked at his disciples and saw even the work that he had called them to do. And he, he told them before they went out, he said, I'm sending you out among people who will try to harm you. There were those in the crowd who laid up heavy burdens of the law and legalism on the people of God. And, and so he was constantly battling with that. And he knew there were people like that. Just this week, I had the chance to eat with um, with four older gentlemen. Um, one was a new friend, three are, three are old friends. Let me just give you their ages. One was having his 85th birthday, but he was not the eldest of the group. There was also in the group a 90-year-old and a 92-year-old. I, I calculated, I love to do math in my head, that their average age was 89. Carlos and I were there, and all we could do was bring the average age down to 78. And here we are eating together and sharing together. And the 92-year-old uh, happened to be a member of um, Lester's church up in Tyler before Lester even got there. And we were talking about Lester's arrival and things that happened. And I said, so who was the pastor before Lester? And he was telling me about him. I said, and why did he leave? And he said, he left because he thought he could make everybody happy all the time. And he sort of lived with that burden. And he was weighed down by that and he was overwrought. And I said, well, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? And he said, one morning he preached his heart out to us and a lady couldn't wait to meet him after the sermon and he greeted her joyfully and she handed him a list of all the grammatical mistakes he had made in the sermon. And he said, I'm through. <laughs> and that was the end for him. And I was just taking notes in my mind thinking, we really can't please everybody in this world. So if you please... Please, please God. When we please him, we are not weighed down by that. He has a yoke that fits us perfectly. It's the yoke of discipleship and he wants to deliver us from our, frectic, our frantic, frenetic, um, panicked way of life to slow us down. There's a song we've been singing in some of our services. It's a, a song by Robbie C. Slow me down, O Lord. Slow me down down because we get in a hurry and sometimes we're moving faster than God ever intended for us to. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's the pace of life, sometimes it's the pain of life. I was reminded again this week of John Claypool, one of our best, I think, preachers through the years. We sometimes use his benediction in our funeral services, Pastor Larry and I do, and and John Claypool understood pain when he was a pastor in, in Louisville, Kentucky. His uh, 10-year-old daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And she wrestled with this uh, for a period of time. Went into a remission. People had been praying. There was a thought that she had been healed. And then on an Easter Sunday morning of all times, she had a, a massive recurrence. He was distraught. He went to visit her in the hospital. It was not looking good. And she said to him with her eyes swollen shut. Have you talked to Jesus about my leukemia? He said, yes, honey, we've, we've prayed for you. And what did he say, she asked. And Claypool said, what do you say to your daughter 
when you have no answers at all. She passed away later that day and he stood to preach the following Sunday. Witnesses who were there say it was one of the most powerful sermons he ever preached. And his text, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And his message was pretty simple. He said, some of you are at a place in your life where you're just soaring and everything in your life is going well and you are bearing fruit and everything is well with you. And others of you are running and you're at your very best right now and you're never growing tired. But he said, some of us can barely walk right now. And we need encouragement and prayers just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But even in his text, he shares the answer. It's those who hope in the Lord, those who wait in the Lord. So listen to Jesus when he says to those of us who are just exhausted by life, he offers us this exhilarating invitation to rest when he says, come to me. And I don't think he would have said that if he didn't know that he had the answer. In fact, Jesus didn't just have the answer. Jesus was the answer. I remember a basketball player in the NBA some years ago. I think even in my time here, he played a very charismatic, dynamic kind of of player. And his nickname was The Answer. But somebody said, if he's the answer, what was the question? And he was an interesting kind of character. He's no longer playing. And, And what we know is this, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Jesus Christ cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because they do not exist. There is no such thing as happiness and peace apart from him. It's not an invitation to inactivity, but it is an invitation to intimacy. What Jesus is saying is, I have what you need, and so you need to learn from me. So he says, come and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's not an invitation to inactivity, but to the right kind of activity. He knew that if we would come to him, that we would find rest in him. Vance Havner said, if we don't come apart with Jesus for a while, like he asked his disciples to do, we will just come apart. We need to come to him because he is the answer and we need to learn of him. Take his yoke upon us. Paul Brand, who was a a medical missionary to India, said, that he learned through the years that that people who had too much pressure on their bodies would inevitably break down, but those who had no activity would also break down, and so there was this right amount, and he envisioned Jesus as the carpenter from Nazareth who maybe was in the yoke-making business. That's one of the legends about Jesus, and his marketing um, offer was, my yoke is easy. The yoke I give to you fits perfectly. It's a well-fitting yoke. It's perfectly designed for you. God knows exactly what you and I need, not just so that we can survive, but so that we can thrive. And he says, take my yoke. It's the yoke of discipleship. The the people of the day were burdening the people with with the burden of the law. There was a, a saying, the yoke of the law 
But the Pharisees took that to seed. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 46, they were weighing the people down and, and Jesus said, he used the same word, fortion, that's used here. You keep putting these burdens on people. Luke chapter 11, verse 46. You keep putting these burdens on people, but you won't lift a single finger to help them carry the load. And Jesus said, I'm here to help you. And if you would learn of me, this is the intimacy. If you would learn that I am gentle and humble in heart, Jesus was the meekest man who ever lived. And Thomas Akempis said that, that the proud man will never be at rest, but the person who is meek, who learns not only that Jesus is gentle, that his strength is under control. That's the word in Greek, prates. If we learn that Jesus is gentle, perhaps we will become gentle. Our strength will be under control. And then not only will we be not worn out, but we won't wear other people out. People will be able to come to us for rest because we are at rest. We are gentle. And he uses the word humble in heart. Not only does Jesus say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But he says, I will give you rest. So rest is a gift. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, he gives sleep to those whom he loves. And he is humble in heart. Jesus was humble. I was reading Andrew Murray's little book on humility this week. It's, it's not a long book, but it's a helpful book. And he says, Jesus' humility was our salvation. And Jesus' salvation is our Humility. In other words, Philippians chapter two, if Jesus had not humbled himself, he couldn't have given us salvation. But when we realize that the salvation comes from him, that humbles us because then it's no longer about our earning it. It's no longer about our effort and our energy, but it's about his work in us as he creates his humility in us. This lowliness of mind, Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he didn't hold on. He didn't hold on to heaven, but he released heaven and emptied himself and took the form of a servant and died on a cross. He showed us humility. And when you and I live with that kind of humility, then we find, as, as Thomas Merton said, in humility, and humility alone is their rest. And pride, he says, deliver me from pride because it's the heaviest burden of all. And this is an invitation. He wants to give us rest, not rest from our work, but rest in our work. And I wonder how we respond to that invitation today. Have you RSVP'd to his invitation to rest? Come to me. Listen to what he says. Jesus doesn't use this expression very often. It's in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Um, he says, let the little children come to me. In the gospel of John, he says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Will we come to him? Will we accept his invitation? I read this week about Ted Kidd, who uh, every Valentine's Day proposed to his girlfriend for a, a series of years. Her name was Janet. He was older than she. He moved out of town after college. And then eventually they were living in Dallas. And every year he proposed to her on Valentine's Day. And every year she said those fateful words, those three words, no, not yet. 
And so he kept trying. And finally, one year when they were both living in Dallas, he bought an engagement ring. And he said, this is it. She's either going to say yes to me today or I'm going to have to move on with my life. And he took her up to that reunion tower, you know, the one with the rotating restaurant so you can see the city. And and the atmosphere was right. And they had had the appetizer and the, the entree and the dessert. And she knew what was coming. And he didn't know what was coming. She said, before you say anything, I want to give you a gift. And she handed him a package that was about the size of a book. And when he tore back the tissue paper, he saw that she had made a cross stitch for him with a single word, yes. The answer he had been waiting for, for all of those years. And I thought, this is the response that God wants from his people. Not no, not yet, but yes. And we used to sing when I was a young person an invitation. I bet some of you remember this. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why won't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time he has waited before and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. So what is your answer to his invitation to rest in him? Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing grace and love. Thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough for us. We pray today, Father, that you would help us to respond to you. Lord, we want to say yes to you. We've heard the truth in your word. But when it comes to living the truth and saying yes in the moment of trial, Lord, that's the hardest part for us. So help us, I pray today, to set our wills, Lord, to accept your invitation and to follow you willingly as you lead us, Lord. You say, come to me. Jesus, we come. We come home to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.